I was in police academy when I sent that email to Ariel. I was going to be a cop. I gave up TikTok. What happened? Tell me. The core of the story that you told is you weren't honest with yourself. Anytime something doesn't perform well, it really gets at my opinion of myself and the story I tell myself about my value in this world, which is a problem for a lot of people right now. I kept talking to Ariel and he was like, hey, ESPN's great, but they don't really like know the show. They don't know what this thing is. So can you come just sit with them and tell them what you know so they can get a sense of me and they can get a sense of the show. Has Elon Musk helped or hurt Twitter? It's so funny. Star, I just want to butter you up and say that I legit, uh, I look up to you, I admire you. I was watching you on stage last night at the live show that the MMAR did uh, in New York City, just observing you and your mannerisms. And you're so, obviously, we know you for being very loyal to uh, our guy, Ariel Hawani, but uh, you never take credit. You always deflect. You deserve a lot of credit. You've accomplished a lot, but uh, you are always one to make others look good and hype other people up. So I could go on and on about hyping you up, but I just want to say thank you for for being here and thank you for being you. <laughs> um, yes, I'm extremely uncomfortable with all the praise, but I appreciate it. I've learned uh, to take compliments better. It's not something I'm very good at um, because I do like to share it and I feel like it's kind of a collaborative thing. Um, but thank you. Um, I didn't know you know, some of these things. I think some of this has gone a little bit unsaid, but maybe more like felt and, and things like that. Um, but I'm really happy to be here. Always love talking to you. And uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, before we get into the MMA and social stuff, uh, there's a couple of things uh, I want to talk to you about. First of all, I was shocked yesterday when I saw you. First time I've seen you since I think this time last year. You yeah. look much different than the last time I saw you. You look sure. like you've lost some weight. You look really good. Why did this happen? How did this happen? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a black, white, all or nothing person. Uh, by personality, it's it's kind of my mannerism, and it's how I approach problems, and and I'm I get focused and I attack things, uh, and that that that's a double edged sword because when I'm in hedonism phase, I like to call it, <laughs> and I'm just eating whatever the hell I want and not exercising, I go all the way in. I'm eating whatever I want, any time of day, not thinking about my health, um, and it hurts me, and obviously you know I blow up and and I just feel bad. Um, there was a certain point, uh, maybe four or five months ago where I just decided not like, um, I need to make a change because I need a positive thing in my life. It wasn't really like a vanity thing. It wasn't really like, a I feel fat or don't want to be judged or whatever. It was much more of a, um, I've eaten every shitty meal I could possibly eat. What more is there to do? Like mm -hmm. I'd sunk to the depths of doing everything I could possibly have wanted to do and decided now I'm going to switch the other way. And it happens frequently for me. I've done that maybe four or five times in my life where I just switch it. So I go from absolute worst end of the spectrum to just super dedicated exercise every day, super strict diet. And that's the only way it can kind of maintain is interesting one way or the other. I cannot do moderation. It's not. So a what you're doing right now is not sustainable and you will inevitably go the other way. That is my that is my uh, prediction. That is my <laughs> my feeling of what will happen. I'm tr I'm going to try at some point to do moderation, but right now I'm still so focused and motivated that I'm not wavering. Like I'm still in that phase where I can do what I'm doing and continue it. There will be a point where it becomes impossible, 
and we'll see. Hopefully, I can I can find moderation, but it's not been something I've been able to do in the past. So, what does what you're doing right now? What what is the diet plan, the exercise plan look like? Yeah, it's pretty simple. It's nothing with artificial ingredients. Nothing. I wouldn't call it a raw diet. Like I'm not eating like raw meat and things like that. But but the things that I eat are uh, from the earth, sustainable, uh, no artificial ingredients, and. Um, what else? Yeah. Like I try to cut out dairy and things like that, but it's not like it's, I don't count calories. I probably eat more calories now because I eat a ton of fruits, I eat a ton of sugar. Like I eat tons and tons of sugar. It used to be Sour Patch Kids and now it's apples and grapes. Um, but yeah, it's not a, I couldn't do counting calories. It's, it's, I don't want to like manage my day that way. So the way I do it is just by making sure that my body is in a place where it can process everything super fast because of how well I'm treating it. And so I just eat whatever I want at not whatever I want. I eat within the restrictions of that diet. I'm currently on whatever I want. And I'm also intermittently fasting. So mm. I do uh, 16 on and eight off. I eat between noon and 8 p.m. Yeah. So. It's so interesting to me that you say that you kind of do the extremes at both because don't you just feel so much better how you are right now? Like when you're eating whatever you want and you're not moving, you're not exercising, like that doesn't feel physically good or mentally good, I'm sure. So why do you go back to that if you feel so good right now? I feel great. What inevitably happens is you get tempted by one thing. And because of my personality, I just go further and further down the <laughs> rabbit hole. So I'm like, oh, I can have a few Sour Patch Kids. Then it becomes a bag. Then it becomes five bags. Then it wow. becomes whatever I want. And it happens slowly. The, the 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 bounce back happens quick. Like I can lose weight very quickly. I can I can take it off yeah. in like two months. I can, I've lost like 50, 60 pounds. I can do that. Wow. I've done that multiple times. The decline happens a little slower because I'm just like doing it and my body is trying to fight it. And then eventually it just all falls apart. And then I don't feel the like, uh, I feel gross until I'm way too deep into it. It happens so slowly that I don't, I don't even recognize it's happening. Wow. Okay. So you are a father of three. Yeah. Is, Which is a good motivator to yeah, like keep yourself exactly. healthy. Exactly. I was going to say, is any part of this you're trying to set a good example? There was a time, no, not necessarily. My kids have pretty good eating habits. My wife's good about that. And there was a time where I was concerned about my health and said, like the last time I probably got into the better shape was I want to be here for my kids. It's an important thing. And then I kind of just like have been able to do this so many times that I felt like a comfort in it. I'm now 36. I'm starting to feel like maybe this won't happen forever or I can go that way and then go back. So maybe moderation has to be the way uh, moving forward. But yeah, I've been fortunate that like I'm able to get myself physically healthy, like pretty quickly. Uh, maybe that won't always be the case. So yeah, it would probably be a good idea to like be around for my kids probably. On the subject of fatherhood, this is something yeah. I'm, I'm dying to think about. You are a very proud father. For sure. Um, you just had your third child very recently, uh, Mazel Tov, as Thank they you. say. I'm, I don't have too many friends who have had kids yet, maybe a handful. I know there will be more in the coming years, but I'm just so curious. What is that feeling like? And it, it is the third time different than the first. Just what is that feeling like of bringing a new life into this world? What is, what is the hospital like that day, which that whole process? Yeah, I'm going to try to avoid being super cliche because okay. I'm sure, you know, 
you've heard every variation of like each time is different and special. The reality is the third time is not as special as the first time. Yeah. Like it is just not like the first time you have a kid, it's super like sensitive and important and you want to do everything right. But then after having the first kid, you realize that there is no doing everything right. And now you've loosened up and now you understand like this is just life. It's it's not this like fantasy philosophical like thing. It is a real life thing. Now you have a child and you have to raise this child and you start to, like the, the, the romance of it starts to fade away and it becomes life and it yeah. becomes real. And so now the second kid, you have less of that. Now by the third kid, you have even less of that. So it's it doesn't change how much you love a child. Like, of course, like I'm not going to sit here and be like, I love this one first, this one second, this one third, but the experience is so different. You, you now got the reps of, of not only just like having the kid, but being a parent. Um, but yeah, like the day this I've I had two girls, I have a six, uh, about to be six year old, a three year old. And now I have this two month old, uh, boy. And so this is my first boy. So that was obviously, uh, something different. You have to get used to that. And, having now a boy um after having two girls we've got like kind of the family we want and and feel comfortable with the three so it's just getting used to that life uh the day in the hospital was interesting because he came a month early oh and um he was ex he was expected to be a month later and my wife just went into labor and that hadn't happened with the other two we were pretty close to when they were supposed to be born the other two and she had natural births and this time we had to have a c-section because he was breached which means his head was like facing downward so they had to get him out and uh you know that can be a little bit hairy yeah. but he was real close to full term he, like he was 36 and a half weeks and uh it did like there were no ill effects and anything like that thankfully and and we were super you know uh, happy about how everything turned out. The hospital's great. We've had all three kids at the same hospital. Um, and then it just becomes like life. As I said, like I literally from the hospital was planning, okay, how am I going to go to work on Monday to go in studio and host the MMA hour with Connor Burks, who you mentioned, uh, who I work with on the MMA hour because Ariel was out and oh, I had yes, an obligation. Right. So I literally two days later turned around and, and went to the city and as I'm on the show, my wife is texting me like, wrap it up, hurry up, because I need to go back to the hospital so we can dis get discharged. So I had to wow. run right back to the hospital and then uh, we were leaving. Um, so yeah, there's like, I, I'm I'm not a like super emotional, romantic person. I'm much more logical and, and kind of, you know, practical. Um, so while I love my kids, I think of the life. The, the, the larger picture of how everything fits into life and how we manage those things much more so than like the, the feelings of it. Like, sure, there's elation. Sure. I'm happy. You know, like it's, it's one of the days I'll always remember. Um, but then I move on, like life continues after that. So when you had your first kid, I'm really curious to know how did, how did the first kid change your life in the sense of, your your work because you're very career driven uh you work in a space the media that requires you to be always on mma is intense and never stops and ariel is intense and never <laughs> stops as well so yes. how did that first kid kind of change your approach to the way you work yeah it taught me a lot about selflessness like i've been a pretty like selfish person that ambition that like motivation i definitely have that i have a high motor like i like to go 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 
but it's selfishly motivated. Like it's for my own passions, right. my own pursuits, my own career advancement, all that stuff. Like I can, I can play with a team, but if I'm moving towards something, it's for me, right? Like it's, it's for what I'm going toward and what my goals are. And having the first kid, the second kid, and now the third kid has each been a lesson in like their things come first, no matter what. And you'll hear that all the time from parents. I and mean, we talk about Ariel Helwani. He's a, a living example of like the kids always come first. There's a job here. Sorry, it's my daughter's birthday. Can't do it. Um, that's like a simple practical example. But from a from an emotional IQ perspective, like it doesn't like no matter how much I want to post this thing on social media or do this thing that's required. If my kid's crying right there, that's going to always take priority. So it really like focuses you. I actually think it helps in both realms. Like it's not a takeaway or detract from the career. It actually just helps you like prioritize. You really have to learn how to prioritize properly um, because there's so much going on in your life. And the reality is that needs to be addressed and this needs to be addressed. But sometimes that hierarchy is hard when you don't have those priorities aligned. And now I can place everything really, really well into that system. Hmm. So I've been um, in the camp for a while now of saying, you know what, I don't, I don't know if I want kids. And this is really a trend among my generation as well. Like we're just having, we're having less kids and a lot of us are having no kids at all or have no desire to have kids at all for a litany of reasons. Um, for me, it's just like, you know what, I'm, I'm really career driven. I love traveling a kid completely changes the scope of your life and what you're allowed to do. It's a massive responsibility. Also, we all say like, oh, it's a tough world out there right now. I don't know if it's a responsible decision to bring a kid into this world because it's so ugly and crazy at this moment. Um, where do you, st obviously like you have three kids, but what would you say to someone like me, my friends who, who are like, you know what, kids just, just not for me. Like don't really see the benefit there. Yeah, I've seen all ends of the spectrum. I was somebody who, knew early I wanted to have kids and wanted to have them earlier than I ended up having them. Like I thought by 25, maybe I'd have some kids. But what I've really learned is like picking these arbitrary like signposts and markers doesn't do anything and doesn't benefit you. Like you can set goals. That's fine. Like setting goals is fine. But, but if you're going to be heartbroken or disappointed or not be able to continue with those goals if you can't meet it at the exact time frame that you need to they kind of are too constricting like if if you feel now like you don't want to have kids you might change your mind and you made that goal when you didn't want to yeah. now the goal has to change now things have to be loosened up and i i don't like the idea of that constriction so i would say i know a lot of people who said they would never have kids and then five years down the line do. Mm. I know some people who said I'll never have kids and stuck to it and even surgically, you know, ma made steps to not have kids and understandable. Like, but I think it's, it's, it's the type of thing that you're looking at a long-term decision in a snapshot mm. moment, right? You're thinking about this thing right now in the structure of your life right now. But if somebody dropped a baby into your lap tomorrow and you had to take care of it, and you had to still continue with your life, you'd find a way. There'd be a way to do it. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't, you know, we, I would like to think that high functioning people, and I consider you a high functioning person, you'd find a way to, to figure it out and life would go on and, and maybe it would be the best thing that ever happened to you. Um, but I also don't believe in like the idea that like, 
you have to have kids. Like I'm, I'm sure there's a certain sector of people out there that like, yeah. you know, we're on this earth to populate and, and continue to, to grow the population. I'm not that person. Like, I think it's a very personal decision. Yeah. I've had people tell me that Troy, you're a good person. It's your responsibility to bring yeah. more good people into the world. I don't believe that personally. Um, but I do believe like my life has been enhanced by having kids and it's, it's, I feel like it's more that, right? Like I, I can give my testimony to it. I can attest to the idea that like kids helped me, but that doesn't mean it's going to help everybody that like, as I said, it helped me focus. It helped me prioritize. It actually enhanced the work product. Um, but if your life feels too complicated and you're like, I'm not ready for that step right now. I don't, I don't feel like that's a bad decision. I feel like that's the right decision to make in the moment. I often think when we trust our gut, when we make decisions that like we, we're not second guessing, we're, we're usually right. Like I think that first instinct is usually the right one. When I spoke to Connor last week, we talked about New York City. I'm sure he's talked to you about it. He has a love-hate relationship yeah. with the city. You're a New York City guy. Your nickname on the show is New York Rick. Yeah. Be honest with me. Like you've been here for how long have you lived in New York City or New York City adjacent? So I've lived in New York City for a total of, let's say, 34 years. <laughs> wow. Out of the 36, two I spent in upstate New York in Whereabouts? Carmel. Like, oh, uh, yeah. So I was in because I would co I would commute to Bristol. We worked in Connecticut. Yeah. I would commute to Bristol. And my wife would commute into the city. So even then I was like ancillary, like I was yeah. on the outside. And now I'm on Long Island. So like I consider that New York, but when I was proper New York City living, I would say that people from Long Island and, and <laughs> upstate didn't, are, were not New Yorkers. <laughs> so why are you so ride or die New York? It's just the best city in the world. And, and for me, it's the, I'm somebody who, when something needs to get done, I'd rather do it right now. Um, I don't like to put things off. I'm not a big procrastinator. I was at, at a time in, in high school. Um, and then after maybe college, I started to realize like the, the, the big downside of procrastinating, just losing the, the focus and the things start to pile up. I'm, I'm a list guy every single day, list of things that need mm. to get done and I knock them off. And if I knock off three of the five, the, the two stay for tomorrow and then I just keep going. So New York is a city where if you need to do something right now, if you need to get things done because they're on your list, you can get them done at any time of day, 24 hours a day. There's somewhere in New York that you will be able to accomplish whatever whatever it is you need. And the places that make me feel like that are the places I tend to gravitate toward. Las Vegas is mm -hmm. another one where I feel like things are open, th life is happening, and it's not like the world is asleep. The one exception is my favorite place in the world is Hawaii. And really? I almost feel like it's like an opposites attract thing where I like to move fast and Hawaii's not slow. I wouldn't consider it slow. It's actually frozen. Like life life is yes. frozen in Hawaii. It yes. is just standing still and that like calls to me. When I go to like California and places that like life's a little slower, it, it bothers me. I I get anxiety because they don't have anxiety. <laughs> um but uh Hawaii does that for me, but most of the time I tend to gravitate toward like busy bustling, moving places because I just want to move. I just want to get stuff done. Where in Hawaii? Uh, personally, I love Maui. Okay. Um, I have some, uh, my wife's family lives on Maui. In fact, oh, my, no my father-in-law is visiting right now from Maui. Uh, he's staying with us. Is and, she Hawaiian? Uh, she's not. So her father and her sister independently took vacations to Hawaii and then both moved to Hawaii. Wow. So um, everybody kind of fell in love with it. 
Uh, I love Maui because it's more like family life. Mm. You know, it's uh, and don't get me wrong, I'll stay in Honolulu um, all day, and we have some family there. That's where the sister lives. The father, no, the I father's don't in Maui. Like Honolulu. But Honolulu's just like it, it feels industrious, and it feels like if I want that, if that's where I want to be, I can be in New York. Like I can do yeah. the version of that that really like speaks to me. Um, if I'm going to Hawaii, I want to like climb Haleakala and like yes. just like chill. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go to Maui. But you've never been curious to go see, to go like live a fast life elsewhere. You've never wanted to, because I'm like a person, like I thrive on new experiences. Like I love doing new things and just seeing, throwing myself into different environments and adjusting and seeing how I do with it. You've never wanted to do that. Only if I've ever had that fantasy or daydreamed about that, it's only been from a practical perspective of like, wow, the taxes would be a lot lower here and the house would be four times the size because New York is not uh, a cheap place to live. But other than that, no, like what anything that I could think to offer, it's in New York or it's in Hawaii. That's really <laughs> it. Like I'm, I'm going to go to Hawaii. That's the one place that has something that I cannot get here, that I cannot do here. It might be more expensive. It might take more time. It might be more frustrating, but I can always get something that I need here in New York. Yeah. Will, I will never be at a deficit of being able to achieve things. Okay, so let's transition to the the MMA social part of this conversation. Uh, Ariel at the live show last night, you know, he loves telling the story about how you in 2011, I think it was, yeah. wrote the the infamous email. I won't read the email here, <laughs> but basically, you you said that you uh, admire him, and if there's anything you can do, like work on the show, work with him, whatever. Somehow, you finagled your way there. Yeah, and. But then I had I, heard this part of the story of the you and Ariel story once, but I would, I would like to go more in depth about it because it's sure. kind of wild knowing how ESPN operates. So Ariel left Vox, where you guys were working together for a few years, for ESPN in like 2017, 2018. Yes, that's right. The, the, the dream place that Ariel had wanted to go. And you stayed at Vox or, or like you quit Vox when he I, left. When he left. I got the sense that like Vox just thought I was in the same spot. Right. And I, and it wasn't, it's not an anti-Vox sentiment. I work at Vox now. Yeah. I love Vox. It was a huge opportunity for me at the time. And now it's a huge opportunity for me again. But the feeling I got when Ariel left Vox was like, the ship keeps moving. Like we just keep going on and you're in that spot. And I didn't feel that way. Like I felt like, whoa, like Ariel's gone. Like what, what's happening here? Yeah. And like, this was a show that I had worked on for eight years and I just didn't feel that same way. I didn't feel like, okay, let's just keep the wheels turning. And so, um, I had a full-time PR job at the same time. So I would only work with Ariel on, on Mondays at the time. The show was only Mondays. Now it's Monday and Wednesday. And I was getting a day rate. I was a contractor oh, who would okay. come in, produce the show, produce the show, edit the show, post the clips, <laughs> do every, like I was, I was all in one. Wow. Um, any post or pre-production, make the lower thirds. I was, I was the guy. So I was doing all that and getting a day rate on Mondays. And quite frankly, like I did it because I loved it. I didn't do it for the pay. Um, and so when Ariel left, it felt like the show kind of left, right? Yeah. Like the show was there, but Ariel is the show. Like that's, that's what the show is, at least in my mind, you know, certainly there was an era where Luke Thomas was hosting it, but that didn't feel. Wait, the, the show time. stayed, but Ariel left. Yeah, the MMA hour continued. Oh, I did no idea that happened. Yeah, the MMA hour continued. Luke Thomas hosted it, and Ariel did his show at ESPN. And so, 
what, as you can imagine, those things that didn't feel yeah. the way that I I thought it would play out. And so it wasn't like a, I didn't like quit Vox. I was just like, hey, like I'm not gonna work on this anymore. Like I'm good. Like in terms of the contract, uh, you know, I was a I was a paid day contractor. So I was just like, okay, like you know, hands easy, hands out. clean, yeah. And I will do PR full time. And I didn't even think like, hey, I'll work with Ariel again. It was just like a okay, end of an era type yeah. situation. Um, and then. I started to just keep like Ariel's my friend. Yeah. So I just uh, kept talking to Ariel and he was like, Hey, um, ESPN's great, but they don't really like know the show. They don't know what this thing is. So can you come just sit with them and tell them what you know, so they can get a sense of me and they can get a sense of the show. So I did that. And, and ESPN was receptive to that. I feel like they would not be receptive to that. They were super receptive to that. Just from the perspective that like, they didn't even want to do the show. Um, I don't know if that's trade secrets, but like ESPN hired Ariel to do reporting news, right. create new shows for ESPN plus the, the MMA, the MMA hour equivalent that was at ESPN, which was Ariel Helwani's MMA show was because Ariel pushed for it. Yeah. Like they were not even going to do it. So right. he's like, Hey, I have like a really good audience for this. We should probably do this like to his credit. Hey, ESPN, like here's a good thing for you. And they had to ramp it up quick. So now they're like, we don't know what we're doing either. They're kind of coming up with this stuff on the fly. To their credit, like they did a great job getting it getting it going. But as you can imagine, I've worked with Ariel for eight years. Now at, at that point, you could say, hey, help us. And I was fine with that. And they were giving me, you know, um, a part-time rate to, to come in and do that. Okay. And then um, at some point during that run, uh, the social media gig opened and that's when I made that transition there. So yeah, I was, I was assisting just as much as I could to help them kind of like understand Ariel, understand the show and, and get up to speed. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Cause I, I would have thought that like ESPN employees were thrown onto that show would have been like, who is this outsider? Like, and cause like I, I, you know, I learned ESPN, like people hate, like when you go above them and people yeah. hate when you step on toes and like stay in your lane and that, that. Yeah. So there's a lot of credit due to a few people there. Um, Glenn Jacobs who oversees who I ran into the, in the elevator the other day, by <laughs> the way, uh, I would love to run into him. I haven't seen him <laughs> in a bit, but, uh, he's a great guy, uh, had the, the foresight to say like, this could potentially be good for us. Let's take advantage of it and then to the people working on the show nick g um jake lebowitz um and others who were producing that show uh alisa uh, uh alisa harrison oh yeah and um jordan yeah uh jordan might not have been there at the time but that group right the production team who who um works on mma and they welcomed me and were really like not how you're describing right like we're th you could be like let's box this person out yeah. like they're not here to to really help um, but it was like a small staff, you know, shorthanded and like every, every little bit can help. So to their credit, they were super receptive and, and it worked. And I'll say like, I didn't go in with the expectation of like working there. I really didn't. Like I was like really pretty sure I'm going to do PR. Like I was like, okay, I'm in this. Um, but when the social opportunity opened up, that's when I jumped to it. If it had just been like, Hey, can you help on the show for the long haul? I would not have done it. Like I, at that point in my life the production aspect of what yeah. I was interested in was really waning. Like I wasn't interested in the production side yeah. as much anymore. So you've been working in MMA for 12 years now. Yeah. 
I am amazed by that. I'm going on. I'm about to hit like my five year anniversary of working in MMA. And there's some days where I'm like, gosh, I don't I don't know how much longer I can take. this. I can't believe it's been five years because I remember uh, yeah. meeting you at, <laughs> at campus at ESPN. And I can't believe it's been five years. How have you lasted this long? MMA for I mean, you know, my self-improvement audience who maybe isn't as in tune with it. Like it's a dramatic sport. It's also nonstop. Football has an offseason. NBA has an offseason. MMA's offseason is two weeks at the end of the year. Like there is, And there's probably something that, happening. Like there is no offseason. Fights every weekend in multiple leagues that we all care about. There's drama. There's bureaucracy. There's a lot of sketchy characters. There's a lot of toxicity. Like there's so much bad in the combat sports world that it gets to me sometimes. The last year especially, there's been a lot in combat. That's gosh, like... I don't know how much longer I can take this. So I'm amazed by you. It's one of the things I admire about you that you've been able to be in this space for so long. What do you attribute that longevity to? Yeah, it's a simple answer. It's it's working with the people I want to work with. It's it's Ariel, right? Like he's the focal point of that. Like I knew when I sent that email for for people who are not familiar, I sent an email to Ariel. You want to read it? No, I do not. <laughs> um, but just I was a kid living in New York intern at Gawker and just wanted to work with Ariel. I literally said, I just want to work with you. That that was my one ambition. And so that has carried me to here. And I feel exactly the same. It's working with Ariel, but working with people like Connor and now Mysterious yeah. Frank and Joe and Alex and all those people. And even you and all the other like characters that I come across in MMA, it's that camaraderie and being like, I want to build stuff with these people, regardless of what the sport is. I'm confident that if the team is right, if the mm. people that you're working with are right, you'll find the right angle for it, right? You'll make it not miserable. You'll 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 be able to filter out some of that toxicity. You'll be able to filter out some of the jadedness and the things because you're working with the people you want to work with and and I and I owe everything to MMA. Like it has afforded me a life that I yeah. could have never imagined. It's amazing, and so isn't it? as jaded as I can get and feel like this card's not as good as this card or this fight's not as good as this fight and this person saying this at the end of the day, if I went back in time and told myself 12, year, 12 years ago that I'm going to be making a full-time living in MMA, I'd be over the moon. That was all I wanted to do. And so I've achieved that and I'm happy with it. And I owe MMA and I owe Ariel, obviously, specifically a huge debt in that regard. But the way it keeps refreshing itself and renewing itself is the people. It's 100%. And I feel like that's true of any job, yeah. if I'm being honest. like Who you work with, I think, is way more important than what you're working on. So. In 2011, when you sent that email, you were obviously a big MMA fan. Just a fan, but huge, yeah. What are you now? I'm not a fan anymore. Definitely not. Like, I I don't even consume MMA from a fan perspective. When I'm watching fights, I'm thinking about what's the social play, what's the reaction, what are we going to talk about on Monday? It is purely an analytical thing now. It's, it's, it's just a content machine yeah. that's in my head. It's definitely sucked some of my, like fandom enjoyment out of it in the rare opportunity when i'm not working a fight and i can just watch a fight then i'm a fan then i get to enjoy okay. it but that's super rare like i'm pretty much working every weekend from that perspective so i wouldn't consider myself a fan anymore not because i don't love the sport but just because the way my brain is working as i'm in it it's just completely different when did you make that switch yeah, when it became like a weekly grind, probably honestly when I got into the social media part of the gig mm. at ESPN, so that's 2018, early 2019 really, um, where 
it just switched. Like I had to now consume this in a completely different way. And I, and there are no weekends where I'm just like sitting back. And so maybe if there were, you know, social media teams tend to be smaller staffs. If there was more people, maybe it's like, I get an off week more often and I can maintain that a little bit. Um, but I'm not, um, I'm, I'm definitely jaded from a certain perspective, but I'm not like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't have resentment toward it. Like I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable and happy with my relationship with MMA. And I'm confident that like one day, maybe I won't be as locked in, in the week to week to week, and then I'll get to enjoy it in a completely different way again. Um, it's not like a no turning back moment. I don't feel like it's in this box and it's going to be in this box forever. Okay. Ariel, if you're listening to this, uh, skip this section. Uh, <laughs> So when you were at ESPN, you know, you got the chance to work with a couple more uh, on on camera people, but primarily you've been married to Ariel for a decade now. Have you ever wanted to work with someone different? Just not not because you dislike working with Ariel, but just to work with someone else. Of course, I always want to work with different people. What I find, though, is like Ariel is the best, right? Like I'm I'm I gravitate toward people who are high performers who are efficient who get things done who have ambition beyond like you know the surface level and like i'm not like i i don't tend to gravitate toward like the people who are there to collect the check and then and then go home um not that i have i'm not, it's not a it's not a a judgment like i'm not i'm not philosophically like judging like if that's the best way you can manage your life and that's gonna take you to where you need to be all for it but those are not the people I typically gravitate toward. I tend to gravitate toward like people who are dreaming bigger and thinking about these things. And, and I want to go on the ride with them. Like, cause I wouldn't consider myself particularly creative. I'm much more like grounded, foundational, as I said, um, practical. And so when I can work with people who have these larger thoughts and can collaborate with me, it tends to be a good marriage. It tends to be a good relationship because I can bring that aspect to it and they're bringing the creativity and then we're working on something and, and it's growing and I, and I like that process. Um, to answer the specific question about like different people, like, yeah, like it, it's not a, it's not a like situation where Ariel's my guy and I can't do anything with anybody else. It's like, that's just a perfect relationship and we're great together and he's the best. And so I really enjoy that. Um, but I would never like not work with somebody. Yeah. So MMA is a grind. Yes. Social media is a grind. Yes. As, as well. How, how long have you been working social for now? 20, early 2019, let's call it. Okay. So, so coming up on four years, uh, five years. So similarly, like a 24 seven thing, a lot of negativity, a lot of toxicity. How have you been able to last as the four or five years working in social media? Yeah, that one was a harder, um, a harder thing to adapt to because the switch was turned on and I had to ramp up quickly. Um, and so, whereas MMA, I was a fan for a long time and yeah. had that ability to kind of ramp it up for social media. Like I had to learn social media quick when I got uh, to ESPN and Tessa Hirsch, my another Love one Tessa. of my amazing collaborators. Um, taught me that part of it. I taught her some of the MMA aspect of it and the fan base and the community. And she taught me the nuts and bolts of how to do social media. Nice. And so did the rest of the ESPN team, who's great. Like yeah. I, I had an awesome time at ESPN. I know stories can be mixed. My experience at ESPN was also amazing. loved it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I ramped it up quick and that like it burned hot. And I was like, wow, this is the best. I love social media. You know, it's, it's great. And it's been a great career for me. Um, 
but yeah, it can be taxing the, the idea of being locked in and on all the time. Um, so I think it's that thing that I said, like working with good people, like I work with good people now, uh, my, my, uh, my direct report, Jose Young's at MMA Fighting, is an amazing dude, a, an amazing social media person, an amazing everything. Like he does on camera work. He also records and he's he's just fantastic. And when you can work with people like that, there's a little bit of an ability to say, like, okay, the the ship is in good hands. I can check out for a little bit, his his turn on, and then I'm out. And then we, you know, you you just figure out ways to check out, honestly. You figure out ways to to separate yourself from it because I'm a fan, because I'm on social media, I'm never going to be able to fully yeah. kind of do that. But as I said, when you get kids and now your priorities become different, you can figure out like, okay, like I have to, I have to, because I have this birthday party or I have this thing. Um, and life kind of necessitates it. So it was more like just growing older, having kids, the necessity of having to like focus. Cause I was traveling every month for ESPN to all these pay-per-views. I went to Australia. I went to all these different places. And I couldn't even fathom trying to do that now. Um, Jose does that part. So as yeah. I said, like it's that it's that collaboration, it's that balance. I like working with people that can like offset each other and figure out how to do that. So it allows me to step back, and then when I come in, I hit it hard. I just do as much as I possibly can. Uh, I want to get into nuts and bolts social media and kind of where we're at with all the respective platforms. Yeah. Um, now, but I, first, before we get there, I want to ask you. So you made a. a a shift from production to social and now you're also leading people as well where people are looking up to you when did you know it was time for you to make that transition i ask selfishly because for me i'm i've made 1500 podcasts over the last four years like i've done a lot i'm kind of reaching a point where i'm like you know what like i'm good with this i'm not the window for improvement for me now is so small because i've done this so much like I would be like, I'm ready for some kind of change, like with like stay in this space, but do something different. When did you kind of hit the point where you're like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to do this part anymore. I didn't quite hit that point in the same way because it was more of an opportunity based thing, right? Like saw an opportunity to work full time in MMA social that I didn't know as much about, but I was bringing something that ESPN needed. And I mm -hmm. would say, you know, ESPN MMA was a great account when we were running it. And, and I think um, it worked out for everybody. It was more me jumping at an opportunity to do that than necessarily feeling like I needed to make that shift. But as I said, like I was kind of feeling like capped out on production and not necessarily where I wanted to be. Quite frankly, I really got into production to work with Ariel. Yeah. It always comes back to the people. It's not really kind of that. But that sentiment like rings true with me, like what you're talking about in terms of um, feeling like maybe this skill set or, or my particular skills might be better served in a different area because I'm feeling a certain way about it. I, I always encourage that instinct. People come to me and, and I talk to like college kids and I talk to people all the time about the idea of like, hey, I really want to do this, but I don't know. It might be this. I feel like, again, trust the gut. I said that earlier, like your first instinct is, is usually right. So if you're feeling that discomfort, if you're feeling that unease, I would always encourage kind of exploring new options. But what I also feel is like, a lot of these roles, a lot of these gigs, I would dare say like I'm in a similar spot. Um, there is a ceiling on where vertical mobility is, yeah. right? Like you're at a spot where you're, you've done so many podcasts, you've, you've achieved the things that you can kind of achieve in this sport, in this sport, in this line of business. <laughs> um, I'm talking to you like you're an MMA fighter. Um, in this line of business that like, 
what more is there? Not yeah. that like we're ever done, right? There's no completion of it, but like you've done enough that it feels pretty comfortable. Most of the time you can translate that skill set to something else and really do it pretty capably. Like if you're a professional, if you show up on time, if you're able to um, lead people and do all those things, most of the time, if you're doing a shift, you can, you can settle into it and figure out the thing. I said, I, I learned social media but I had the skill set. I had been managing people for a long time in the PR side of things. I had been interacting and communicating and producing. And so I collected all these different skills that when I went to social media, all I had to have was the playbook on how to learn the few things that you need to know to get started. And then I kind of yes. found my way to it. So um, I'm a big believer in like that change in that like drastic shift because it tends to not be that drastic. Like you really have minimal things to learn. What what you've learned over the years is how to carry yourself, how to be a professional, how to do jobs and do all those things. And then you can kind of learn the other parts of it. Now, don't get me wrong. You can't be a doctor. You can't just say, <laughs> hey, I'm going to switch to being a doctor. I've, I've learned all these things. You have to do the certifications and figure out that stuff. But other jobs that are that are similar, like white collar type jobs where you're in an office and managing people and doing these things, they're kind of, there's, there's a lot of mobility horizontally, I think. Yeah. And then maybe you can get to a sector where now the vertical opens back up. Now you can be an even bigger manager, manage more people, oversee more things. So if you're hitting that cap in your industry, I would move horizontally and then upward. And that typically is an available path. Social media. Yes. Which app are you spending the most time on these days? Yeah, last time we Just spoke your, your own consumption. Yeah, last time we spoke, we, we talked a lot of uh, Twitter because um, Elon it, had just purchased. Just, Elon had just purchased it. It wasn't X uh, yet. We were talking about Twitter, and everybody was talking about the demise. And I think at that time, I said TikTok. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of TikTok. Is it still TikTok? I wonder what my yeah. You know what? In my personal life, it's still probably TikTok. Okay. I really enjoy TikTok. The algorithm is is really strong. Um, I like that format of video and I'm just on the other ones so much for work purposes that I kind of like to check out from them. So like TikTok's a nice little escape. Okay. So you're not spending as much time work purposes on TikTok. It's an easier platform in terms of posting um, from the perspective that like you can really like duplicate some things that you're doing on Instagram and other platforms and how you're cutting vertical video. Um, and also you don't have to worry as much about the algorithm dinging you where you do on a lot of the other platforms, like their algorithm's pretty good on discovery. And so you don't have to worry as much of like, is this a great post, a home run that I can't miss? Otherwise I might not post it. TikTok, you can kind of get away with posting okay. some things that are not as, as, um, engaging. And sometimes they hit, sometimes they randomly hit. It's, it's more of a, a swing and miss type platform. So yeah, it, it doesn't consume as much of my bandwidth. Uh, for work purposes. So I I gave up TikTok like three weeks <laughs> ago. I just like, it just... What happened? Tell me. Nothing. So uh, I was creating like, a, so like around the, the publish of my book, like I really ramped up just kind of like my own like one man media company here. And like, I, I have a guy help me out with social as well. Um, but like I'm posting on Instagram, on shorts, both uh, like long form YouTube videos, like the the podcast um and then like on story reels linkedin like everything 
but then I, I found myself like, you know, on TikTok, you're trying to find the way to be the most engaging, to grab the attention in the first five seconds, which really what you're doing is you're trying to manipulate humans. Like you're trying to get psychologically at the hardwiring of people's brains to try to make them watch your video. And so I was coming up with these ways to do that. And it was working a little bit, but it felt so inauthentic to me and kind of morally wrong. Like I, hmm. I, I feel a big, like with social media, like I feel like there's so much inherently morally wrong to all of it that I can't look past that. So I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't really want to create on these platforms. If this is how you have, is this is what you have to do, the levels you have to sink to, to succeed well on them. So I just was like, this isn't me. And anytime something doesn't perform well, it really gets at my my ego and my opinion of myself and the story I tell myself about my value in this world, which obviously is a problem for a lot of people right now. And I've tried for years to overcome that. But again, it's something that is so baked in psychologically that you cannot, you cannot like in an, an endorphin rush that comes with likes, like you can't overcome that. You can't overcome the feeling of being liked and accepted by the tribe that is baked into who we are as human beings. So I was just like, you know what? I can't overcome this. Like, I just have to like, like you with being like all in on being healthy and not, I'm like, I'm either all in on or I'm all out on this thing. And so I just kind of like hit a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Does the fact that you can logically unpack that soften it in any way like as you're looking at the likes do you go well i understand like what's happening here you you seem to have a, a really strong grasp on the idea of like why the things are moving in the yeah. way that they're moving can you not separate the emotion from that can you not divorce it and say like yeah, it's not getting likes, but that's because it's not an algorithm and and it you know it wasn't picking up steam or maybe this one was picking up more steam for the reason that you said like I I put forth a good 3 seconds in the beginning and it hooked people and and yada yada and not necessarily be as tied to the emotion or they're just so they're just so intrinsically linked that like if not enough people like this, I feel I feel like bad about it. Cuz you're 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 understandably like putting all your soul into it. Um and so I get why, like when the when the metrics don't perform the way that you're hoping they're going to perform, I I understand that emotional sting. But is there what I'm asking is like, is there the the moment after that where you can go, okay, I've had the emotional response to this. Now I'm having the logical response to this, where I'm going to change this thing or that thing or keep doing the same thing, even to say like I'm just going to persist. It's really my my resistance to it all is really the moral feel to it. Yeah. So because I because I hate these companies. I hate TikTok. I don't like Meta. I don't like any of them, really. Yeah. I love Spotify. Spotify's a great tech company. But otherwise, <laughs> they're tearing us apart. They are, and again, I know you know I'm speaking to someone who who is ride or die social media, but yeah, I think they're tearing us apart. I think they are, you know, coupled with the phone addiction, like I think they are making us be so collectively less present, making us more anxious. Everyone, I was talking to Connor earlier, like we just get the, we have like this, this tick where we just like check the phone, check the phone, check the phone. Like you run into any discomfort in your day. Like someone sends you a message, you don't know how to respond to an email. You don't know how to respond to like you're met with some work problem. Like, well, let me just like forget this problem and like open up the phone. And it has made us so un 
present and like our lives are just passing us by. And that's like a lot of like what I write in my book and what I will write in future books is, is how to make the most out of your life. And I think it's the phone and, and the apps on the phone that are making us enjoy our lives far less. Now, there's many benefits to it. I've made friends off of Instagram. I've, I've gotten dates off of Instagram. Like, and I can have friends all over the world, which is great. But I think the negatives outweigh the positives. Can I ask, a, you may not know the answer to this question. You may have had to be in this scenario. If you had been, let's say you went viral, yeah. you took off. If the success on social media was there, not even necessarily from like a, now I'm a celebrity perspective, but just like you're getting the engagement you want, the things are moving. Do you feel the same way? Do you? I, I've, th I've thought about that as well, where I've said, you know what? Like if this video got 200,000 views instead of 200, like would I still feel this? Yeah. Uh, this moral conflict, uh, I would, I would feel bad because it's like, well, this isn't like I, I don't want, I don't want this. Like, I don't want to be an influencer. I don't want to be a social media star. I still, I would still hate social media regardless. Uh, it would make I would feel less bad about my myself in terms of like, oh wait, people actually like me. Like yeah. all this time, I think people don't actually like me. But I would still feel uh not good ab about. My gosh, this this is what I have to do to get people to care about me. Yeah, like I, I would feel it would feel like good with that dopamine hit in the moment. But when I lay my head to sleep and I'd be like, gosh, like I just wish I could get people to care in a different way. Yeah, I get that. But I, I totally get that. And and all what you're saying, like tracks, I, I I'm on the same page. I feel like it works in the reverse, too, where you don't have to be so down about the lack of the engagement. It's the same thing that you said, like you have the instant dopamine hit and then you go, eh, it's kind of still morally corrupt. In the reverse, it's kind of like, I threw this out there, it didn't work. People still like me, I'm still okay. I think it works in the reverse too. You, yes. can, you, can, you can hit that level where the metrics don't matter. Like if you're putting out good content, if you're putting out stuff that you feel like it really speaks to people, and even if it's 200 people watching it, those 200 people may really enjoy it yeah. and it may impact them and you can still feel good in that sense and you can still feel like you provided something to the world. I don't think the met like the metrics matter. I it's my business. I yeah. work in social media. The metrics obviously matter, but I do think as we move away from like good content and into that more like marketing realm, social media ha has become less authentic, right? Yeah. Social media is now a tool, is only a tool. Yeah. And right, like we're not getting that as much of that content. Um, people can lose sight of that. I don't think our values are tied to social media in the good, but also in the bad. Like I think we are all better than what the metrics say on social media. And I think we're not yeah. as good as the metrics say when things are doing well. We're we're all just like trying to find our way. <laughs> so that's why I'm curious about like how you unpack the idea of like, yeah, this didn't do metrically what I thought. And then you assign value to it. But if it was positive, you'd go, oh, I feel good in this moment. And then you'd remove the value. You'd say it's so it's almost like a non-win situation. You're always <laughs> taking the value away. You're always taking the good part away. And I feel yeah. like you you deserve better than that. Like, <laughs> I, I do deserve better than yeah. that. Uh, but I just remove myself from because again, like I I've been creating on social media. Like I've gone like in and out of periods of like going hard. Yeah. And then 
stepping back, the going hard, always being like, gosh, like, I know I can do this. Like, I know yeah. I'm smart. And like, I, I think I'm pretty decent on camera. I have good delivery. And I was making some pretty good videos for the past few months that I was really proud of. But they just weren't performing. And so I was like, gosh, and, and ditto with the with the book as well. I set very low expectations for the book and the book sales. Um, I was like, OK, first book, self-publish, unestablished author. Anyone who knows me knows me from MMA podcasting, not from self-improvement for yeah. young people. Like I'm getting into a completely new era. Set your expectations low for the book and just enjoy the process of writing it. Like if you sell 10 copies, like that's fine. And my entire time writing the book, that was my that was my MO. I truly felt that and believed that. And I loved the process and I learned so much. But then, uh, you know, two months after the book launched, the sales weren't where I even like my low, like they were at like my low expectations. And I was, I couldn't stop myself from being upset about that. Yeah. Cause like you hold on to this, you know, like what if this sells like a hundred thousand copies? And then you, you go, of course you, you think about that. And like, wow, I could not be making any podcasts anymore. And I could actually like pursue my first love, my first passion of writing. Of course. Of course. I feel like, the the issue is not necessarily the platforms. Mm, I think me. they have it's me. I'm the, I'm the problem. <laughs> in, in a sense, I think they have their issues, and everything you've said, I don't disagree with. Um, in terms of like what the platforms are doing and how that like you're you're speaking for so many people who are like feeling the same thing in terms of like I'm putting all this great content out there and I'm not getting rewarded for it. The game's kind of rigged. Like the reality is, there's there's a very finite number of people who are gonna really really pop big. Yeah. When, when like you're being fed the ones that went big, but they're, you're seeing the same ones over and over again. There's a lot more people who are posting these platforms and getting zero right. traction and feeling the exact same way. That is the vast, 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 vast majority of us. Um, so they have their problems, no doubt. But I feel like the, the core of the, of that, the, the story that you told is you weren't honest with yourself. You said I'd be happy if I sold 10 books and I'm going to enjoy the fuck out of this process. And then you, you got to the low number, you, you were on the low end and you were like, fuck, it didn't sell the hundred thousand. You're, you're grading yourself against the, the highest possible expectation instead of that one that you said yeah. established at the beginning and said, you'd be happy with. I think it's awesome that you wrote a book. I'm sure the people who bought it think it's awesome. Yeah. Like you should be happy. That should be the bar. That yes. truly, truly, truly should be the bar. And I feel like it's a it's a discrepancy between what you told yourself and how you really felt. And yeah. now you're judging. You, there's a common theme I'm seeing with the social media and this. You're judging yourself at a level that is higher than you initially set out. I stick to that. Truly. Yeah. And and book number but one. But it's so hard. I, oh, I get ego, it. Oh, ego. Oh, is I the get enemy. it. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I try. That's the one. Th like, if I if I say like to anybody, like the one principle I live my life by most is honesty. When it comes to my kids, when it comes to my relationships, when it comes to myself, I have to be honest with myself. I have to be honest with them, or everything kind of breaks down. It's it's re like it's much more important to me than like the idea of like, I don't even know. There's, there's lots of ideas that people kind of like feel about themselves. To me, the number one guiding principle, the number one thing I always live by is honesty. So when that comes to like, 
Hey, look in the mirror. Like, are you doing the best for your health and things like that? That's an honest conversation that I'm having. And then I'm, I'm trying to change something or doing something else when it comes to my kids. Like they have to tell me the truth and I'll tell them the truth. And I feel like if I, if I live my life that way, everything kind of works really, really well. Like it, nothing's going to be perfect, but honesty has been a really, really good guiding principle. And I think if you said to yourself, shit, I think this is going to sell a hundred thousand. I'm banking on it selling a hundred thousand, whatever it did, the disappointment would actually be less. The disappointment would actually be less than if you said to yourself 10, but you weren't like, you really, really did not mean 10. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the same is for social media, because I think you're good on social media. I think it's valuable content. I think your friends enjoy it. I enjoy it. Are you, are you removing something good from the world potentially yeah. instead of, instead of focusing the content on those first three seconds and hooking the people that you're hoping to get that are like outside that group, maybe just make the content for us. Maybe just mm. make the content for the people who really I know. care. I thought about that as well. I, um, so I've been, I've been criticized for on social media for, for being an oversharer. Sure. I, I am very honest. So we, everyone says like, oh, well, I hate social media. It's just a highlight reel of your life. You're not being yourself. On social media, I'm like the most authentic, vulnerable version yeah. of myself. Like I get deep. I talk about the bad stuff. I talk about the bad stuff way more than the good stuff because like, yeah. that's what's going on in my mind in that moment. And I use Instagram primarily as as the method for distributing how I'm feeling because uh, people generally like can there's not that many people saying things like that that I am. Do you think? authenticity in, in that way and like the oversharing is is a good strategy it depends on the honesty of it so like <laughs> there's being honest for honest sake and then there's being honest for like what i think what you're describing is like people being skeptical right i think what they're probably thinking certain people are thinking is he sharing this because this is the honest feeling or is he sharing this in a performative way mm. that there's something underneath it that is trying to be shared on the back of the honesty. If it's because you're trying to express yourself and be truly honest, I don't think there is an oversharing. I think like that's dope. Like, yeah. I think that's a really cool thing to like give to people, but there's also, and I'll, I'll readily admit, like I benefit from this. There's a security blanket there. When you're overly honest, when or not even overly honest, I don't, as I said, I don't think there is an overly honest. But when you're when your guiding principle is honesty, and you're always being honest, there's an element of I hurt myself, so you can't hurt me, right? Like if I if I'm telling you, if I'm an open book and I tell you everything about myself, what I'm protecting myself from is you can't tell me anything because I've already told myself that you can't hurt me. Nobody can hurt <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> I've already told myself there, I'm, I'm, I'm invincible now because I've been so honest. Is that a protective mechanism? Right? Like I think about mm. that myself. Am I doing this because like, I truly believe in this principle and I'm doing this because I want to be honest and I feel like it puts my life in perspective. I say mostly yes, but there's probably times where it's also benefited me. Like, as I said, like, no, if if I'm hurting myself, if I'm saying to myself, looking at myself in the mirror and having those hard conversations, what could you say to me that's going to make me think worse about myself than that? Like it, there's a there's a protection element to it, and I think that's where probably like the skepticism of it comes from. But I'm in the other camp. I'm in the like sharing like true feelings with the world for the sake of just sharing those true feelings and and connecting with people. I think is like one of the coolest things you can do. Like, I just truly believe in it. Okay, so if you, social media guru, were 
advising me, yeah. someone who wants to use the, you know, speak in a way, write in a way on, on Instagram, on, on all these platforms, um, just to get people to be honest with themselves and to be authentic and to live a life without regret and to be more present, all these messages that yeah. I believe in. What is, the so what is the social media strategy you would devise for me? I would do exactly what you're doing. I wouldn't change a thing. Because the people who are skeptical, we're always going to be skeptical, right? The people who look at that and go, well, what's he doing that for? We're never going to kind of come along on that journey anyway. They're, they're, they're looking for something else, which is fine. Like yeah. you can find something <clears throat> else. The people who look at that and go, that's really like candid. And I wish I could do that myself. They'll come with you. But. Are they going to come with the numbers? Like yeah. there's the vanity of it right. too. Exactly. There's the, the the idea of like how many people. And when you're being so open and raw and honest and you express yourself in that yes. way, and the numbers don't come with it. It's like that hurts. Yes. But is it for you or is it for those numbers? Exactly. If it's for you, then it's good. It's always good. Yeah. I, I truly believe in that. But yeah, no, like I, I'm breaking these things down in like very like emotionless kind of simple ways. Yeah it's way more complicated it's it, it, there's there's so much ego as you said and yeah. emotion wrapped up into it no, and even as you try to convince yourself like i tell myself i don't care i don't care i don't care and then i catch myself caring and then i remind myself no don't care it's hard <laughs> i almost feel like go the other way care like <laughs> let yourself care like if the uh, if the if the gut emotion if the first feeling is like no i actually do care what you guys think about this thing guide it, guide it that direction. If the first instinct is like, I'm going to share this. And if nobody likes it, I don't give a flying, like, this is my thing. Go with that too. Like the authentic people, people will be attracted to it, but it's only going to be those people who were yeah. always going to be attracted to it. Like we're, we're really just like putting up signals. We're just like, this is me. And then people are like, Hey, I like that. Hey, I like that. Some people it's like, Here's me with a Rolls Royce. Hey, I want to be in in cohorts. I want to be in a community with these people who have fancy things. But then there's other people who don't. There's other people who want something completely different. And the the thing you spoke about about like the idea of like social media being a connector is so cool and yeah. so important. And like we can do that. But the scale, if 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 you're looking for scale, it may not come. Right. Uh, the other stuff might work better for scale. The like flashy, quick sell out whatever the the the, the bucket <laughs> you'd use to put it into like yeah. I, I feel like i'm losing my soul because i'm doing this thing that probably will attract more people right. but it, will it attract the people that like that you want that the message you. that you're sending is really going to be it's a it's a it's a complicated it's a dicey it's a, it's a, it's a fraught uh thing i don't post a lot personally on social media like i just don't do it. I, I mostly do. I own, pretty much primarily do it for work and post pictures of my kids. Yeah. It's very thoughtless. Is it like I'm protecting myself? Like, you know, like I just don't, I'm not, I, I don't have anybody that I need to communicate with that I can't text or do this thing. Like I'm not looking to, I have a, a good community. I'm not looking to build it out. So I'm not, I'm not searching in that capacity. Okay. So let's talk TikTok. Sure. Not for me, but for the people listening to this who, uh, want to get big on TikTok. When we spoke this time last year, you maintained, and I imagine it's still probably the case, correct me if I'm wrong, TikTok still remains the number one best platform for virality, for getting your messages out there, for for blowing up overnight, if you will. Yeah, and, and just for growth in general, 
because the other platforms are more mature. It's just one of the newer ones with obvious upside and also reaching demographics that the other ones kind of touch but don't get as much into. Uh, so yeah, I would still recommend like if you're looking if you're looking to make the the quickest impact and and reach new audiences, like TikTok's going to be the spot. So when I was you know in my TikTok era and scrolling, I I was getting served a lot of like TikTok guru videos, like do these five things <laughs> yes. and you'll blow up on TikTok and change your life forever. I never know who to believe. When we're talking TikTok, you're the guy to believe. So if I ask <laughs> sure. you the question. What are the elements of a successful video on TikTok that doesn't go viral, but that, you know, that just does well? What would you say? Yeah, there's ways you can kind of game the system, right? As you've talked about, like you can do something, you have to engage quickly because most people are going to hit it and just pass by if you're not getting them in the first couple seconds. Um, people want to connect. Uh, the stuff that does well is like super visually engaging because it's a very visual platform. It's a full screen platform. And so like, if you're giving them a lot of things to look at, what I often see even is like, somebody will just put a tweet, but underneath the tweet, they're putting a video of like cars going down right. a ramp and things like that. They're stimulating, they're, they're grabbing your attention no matter what. So if they just put a tweet in the middle of it, you're gonna skip. And so it's that visual element, it's getting them quickly. There's the element of like interest in just the subject, right? Like if you're doing something about something that, a wider swath of people is interested in about than a niche swath, you're going to have differences of, of how quickly that's going to go. So um, it's those elements. Like it, it's kind of common sense to a certain degree. What usually happens though, is people think like, well, I'm a special snowflake and right. whatever I'm posting is the best thing and everybody's going to love it. And the reality is it's just not going to happen. Yeah. As same we way said. podcasting. Yeah. The vast majority are not <clears throat> like that. That's just it. Like everybody's creating content for these platforms and very few people are actually doing that. I would almost argue rather than being on like one specific platform because of the sake of like, I got to be on TikTok, platforms that cater to what your thing is and what your message is, if you can't run the other ones because you want to focus all your time and energy into it, I would say do that. That's a much better yeah. strategy. So I want to noodle on what you said about being visually engaging yeah. and having things to look at on the screen. Like, I see a lot of videos where it's like, okay, let me, you know, let me throw up this B-roll. That's like, it doesn't really advance too much the story of what you're saying, but it's just something for the viewer to look at. And then like, there's all these like little widgets that you can throw on the screen, like these little pop-ups that yeah. come up for two seconds and th then disappear. Like, is all that stuff, stuff that you should be doing? Yeah, probably. Even if it's not like super relevant, it's relevant to what's being said, but it doesn't like advance because like in... I, and I'm going back to like news, like when we were studying journalism in school, it's like, oh, like I'm doing this news story. I'm doing this VO. Like, let me show the traffic that I'm talking about. Like it corresponds to what sure. you're saying. Yeah. If your goal is to deliver content that is like the most, what's the word? Professional. I don't, I don't know what, what, what word I'm trying to really grab here then probably not. But if your goal is numbers, if your goal is reach, if you're like, it, it just depends on the goal. Like if I were to make something and my goal was, I want to give this person the best possible look at this, the most informed version of it, I wouldn't be putting bells and whistles that are necessary. Right. But if my goal is, I want this to go as far as possible and reach as many people. Now you start to introduce that element. And it's not dissimilar to what you're talking about, like feeling like you needed to tailor the content in a certain way to get the maximum reach. 
where if you just did something different and take a more like straightforward approach to it, it might be better content, but it might not hit as hard. So like, yes, if that's what you're like, if the reach and the engagement is the goal, then yes, like you need to like constantly be moving it. Everybody puts captions on their video yeah. now. It's giving you something to stare at. Yeah. It's giving you something to read that's constantly refreshing and moving. And we're just like, we have reptilian brains that just like turn on and we're just like, yeah, here we go. And yeah. watch it. It's it's that simple. It really Do you is. think the shorter, the better? In terms of the, like, the, length, the length of the, of video? the video? No. Like I think actually TikTok's kind of rewarding algorithmically like longer videos because TikTok's watch time is like comparable to like Netflix in terms of how long they're keep keeping people on platform to like actually watch the content. Wow. So even though their videos are not long, they've expanded. The, That's the incredible to think about. Yeah. People are watching more of it because they're just <clears throat> on the platform. So I don't think there's like a, the sweet spots, probably like 30 to 60 seconds in terms of length. But I also see quite a bit of long form content. They kind of encourage that. And and as they expanded the the length of videos right. that you could post, they're kind of like al algorithmically saying like, hey, check out these longer things and stick with us. Because yeah. at the end of the day, they just want to keep you on the platform so you can see more ads and you can see more of the content and, and stick and they can sell advertisers like, hey, you could advertise on that other platform, but their users are spending 10 minutes a day. Our users are spending two hours. Yeah. So come here. <clears throat> now, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, anytime you do a Google search about like how to like do Instagram the best in 2023, you never really like get a clear answer on <laughs> it. And the, the platforms themselves aren't very transparent Shout about it. So yeah. how do you know? How do you keep up with the trends? How do you know what's actually working? And 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 it also changes so constantly with these platforms. Yeah, it does. There's a few things like I'm a power user compared to a personal, somebody with a personal account, right? I'm running a brand account where I'm posting so many things a day that I get so much feedback, right? Like if you're somebody who's like, hey, I posted three videos this week you know, I can't kind of follow the trends. Well, yeah, I post three, three videos an hour. Like I'm, yeah. I'm able to use the data and figure out those things because I'm using the platform so much like that data is, is coming to me. So it's that it's talking to other people in the social space. It's having connections with the platforms that are saying like, Hey, we're prioritizing this. Are they ever going to open up the cupboard and say like, this is the algorithm. I think Twi uh, X actually did in some capacity, there was some revelation on that, but most of them are not going to say, here's how you game the yeah. platform because then everybody's just going to game the platform. It's going to turn only into that. But I think enough people are smart enough and have figured it out where you can kind of fine tune it and figure those out as they change. But it does change quickly. Like one thing that may be prioritized now all of a sudden is not reels is a great example of something that Instagram was juicing forever. Like yeah. that was a huge priority for them. Now they've shifted that back. Um, it seemed like a lot of user feedback contributed to that mm. and they've shifted away from that. Um, now it's more of a hit or miss kind of TikTok -y platform where things go big or kind of stay small. Um, but those priorities constantly shift. It's more about like get data and that's not feasible for everybody, right? right? I can't tell you like, Hey, Joe Blow in Ohio post 30 times a day and you'll figure out the platform. <laughs> like that's kind of <clears throat> silly and the content probably won't do well, but that's how I'm able to kind of keep tabs on it in addition to relationships with platforms in addition to like i work with other social media people who run other accounts and can say hey we're seeing this are you seeing this and yeah that's how we do it the accounts that you're running when you're making the decisions of what to post how much of what you post is based on gut feeling i know this is <laughs> going to be good and back-end analytics driven decisions 
most of the time, it's a combination of those things. It's a gut feeling of of that the analytics will support this. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's it's like a feeling of like, I know what the analytics say. My gut says this is closely tied enough to what the things that the analytics have rewarded before. So I'm going to trust that this will perform well. And sometimes, most of the time you're right. If you have enough data, sometimes you can, you can be wrong and it just wasn't the right mix of things or didn't kind of cross over to where you wanted it to go. Um, but the gut is kind of important in just like, it, it's it's less of a gut and more like a curation thing. Like how good can you get at curating is kind of yeah. the game when you're running a brand account. Like I know what the audience is after. How good am I at finding the things that they want? You're, you're running an art gallery, right? Like right. they like this type of art. Here's this type of art. Uh, maybe that painting didn't work so well, but most of the time you're pretty good. Working in social media, um, I mean, now when you were in ESPN, you and Tessa Hirsch, who you referenced earlier, were like in the trenches posting everything. Yeah. You're making everything that you're posting. It's my understanding you're not doing all of the making anymore, right? Yeah, there's there's more of split duties, but the teams are still small. Like social media, even though it's so funny, this is going to sound like whining, griping, but it's, <laughs> it's a reality of, of the business we're in. Uh, the... Social media team is one of the most like essential teams, right? Yeah. Like if if a if you went to a business or a brand and they didn't have a social media team or account, it kind of like it would lower their their status in your mind most of the time. They're also the ones that are the tip of the spear facing consumers and audience the most like directly, right? Like we're 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 uh salesmen. We right. are representatives that talk to the consumer directly, yet at companies, most of the time, social media is thought of as the last resort or the thing where like it's a catch-all. Everything goes. It's like, hey, we've got this thing coming up. Can you post about it on social media? Well, it doesn't quite work like that. Like That's not engaging content. That's not really how it works. But they just think of it, everything funnels to social. When in reality, social should be at the top. I mean, maybe I'm biased. Social should be at the top of the pyramid where it's like, this is the platform. This is the thing that we are most directly engaging with fans on and outside of like retail, right? If you're a retail seller, your store is going to be number one. But if you're just a brand and you're looking for awareness, social is the thing where you're going to connect most directly with your fans. Yeah. So it should be the thing that informs the rest of it. It shouldn't be the thing that like, hey, we're just funneling content to social. We think this is good. Here, let's just throw this up. We've got this thing coming up. You should be thinking much more um, critically about how you're handling social. And so, uh, sorry, I lost the question there. <laughs> well, I was, I was just going to ask you, um, about what, you know, how much you're making today and then how you determine, uh, or act better, better yet, how you have gotten better at yeah. delegating other people making, cause you, you used to make everything. And so yeah. you knew what you wanted, but now you, aren't making as much, you have to tell other people, hey, here's what I want made. Yeah, I got into that track because thinking of the small teams, I, the teams are still just as small, but my delega delegation was a skill that came to me later in life. I just was not good at it. I'm yeah. a doer. I'm a... I, and when you owned the MMA Hour, like you're like the lead producer for so long, like you own every aspect of the show. Yeah. That's what you're used to. I'm used to controlling the things. I like things the way I want them. Um, just as like my personality type, like when things are out of place, I, I get uneasy. <laughs> I like to control. I'm, I'm definitely somebody who likes to be in control. Um, but delegation is really important. Like yeah. I've, I've come to it later, but I, I am a big believer in the value of that. And also like you're enhancing other people's abilities. If you are somebody who always takes on the thing, 
you're going to make yourself miserable because everybody's going to come to you, right? Now you've added six different things that everybody comes to you for. You, you may have done it that one time to just show like, hey, I'm a team player. I can do it. Now you're the person for that. And now you've added all this additional responsibility. But what you've also done is take reps away from people who are underneath you that need to grow, that you're kind of trying to groom, or people uh, on your same level who are your peers, who are your colleagues that could be capably doing these things. And you also lose the diversity of thought. Like you just, now you're this one-stop shop and you're running things this one specific way. You're losing the collaboration. You're losing the diversity of thought. You're losing the creativity that you could have had elsewhere. Maybe it doesn't go the way you want. Maybe things don't go perfectly, but five other times everything went better because you're not the only one thinking about this problem or, or, or guiding this issue. Yeah. Delegation is definitely something I, I've been doing a little bit recently. And I'm like, why am I just coming to this now? It is yeah. so much better to just take it off your plate. And honestly, like for me, like with podcasts, I've been delegating some podcast editing recently. And uh, it just like feels you get better because like when you're so in the trenches making so many podcasts, like you're not really thinking about what you're doing. You're just on autopilot doing. So when you lessen the load a bit, it makes you just actually like think more uh creatively about what it is you're doing uh because like when you're just doing 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 because you're so busy you have so much on your plate like you're not really improving like you're just doing but when you lessen the load you can actually like wait how can i get better at this yeah you can zoom out to the big yeah. picture i think a common thing and this was true for me i don't know if it was true for you is it's going to take me less time to just do this quickly than teach someone. yes yes so i'm just going to save <laughs> so, time yep. it's just an efficiency thing i'm just saving time yeah in the long run you're and costing it, yourself and so it's much more time. annoying to explain it to someone oh, i don't want to do it's hard it. To communicate uh, it yeah and then you and then if you added up the time that you spent yeah. that they could have been helping and learning and improving <laughs> and getting to that level you've now wasted all that time that you thought you were saving so it really does shoot in the foot and i've and as i said i came around to it late i was not like yeah. a good delegator for a long time it was the thing that every time I had a report on my performance, what do you want to improve? What do you think you can do better? It was never like a core function of my job. It was never like, I think I did this and I can do this instead. It was always, I need to delegate <laughs> always. And then I never did it. Yeah. And then I started to do it and, and reap the benefits. Yeah. Um, so if you're a creator and you want to expand just beyond TikTok, you're doing TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and LinkedIn can there be a one size fits all approach? Can you post the same video to all those same platforms or should you make specific moderations that work best on those platforms? For example, I've been hearing on Instagram, correct me if I'm wrong, like on Instagram, you should do like your first, you should do a carousel and your first thing should be a photo. And in the bottom right, it says like swipe to watch video and then you swipe over to the video. That specific thing that you're talking about works because of the simplicity, right? Like it's like, this is obvious what this is. Great, great engaging photo, swipe, reptilian brain. Oh, duh, it says to swipe. So I'm going to swipe. <laughs> From a philosophical perspective, you should probably tailor the things to the platform if what you're seeking is the most possible reach and engagement on those platforms, but it becomes a time yes. thing, right? Like, is it worth the time to adapt? If, if you're in a situation where it's like, I could post all these things to all the platforms. It won't be perfectly suited for it, but it'll save me a lot of time. And this wasn't going to be something that I was expecting that was an engage like in a crazy way. Anyway, it might be worth saving that time. It truly might be a, a, a good business decision to say, yeah, let me just do it that way. If you're, if you have the time and it's going to be best spent to do that, you should customize for each platform. Okay. But it, it becomes a time management yeah. situation. Would you advise 
what's the better strategy? Trying to do four platforms okay or trying to do one really well? One really, really well. Focus in on where you're having success. And then when you get to the point that that platform is built to where it almost what you talked about, like runs itself, right? Or you're in the in the grind of like, hey, I'm just producing a lot of podcasts, but how automatic does that become at that point, right? You're so good at it, it becomes automatic. Now that platform is in a good spot and you can kind of divert the resources to others um, rather than try, you, they won't grow individually if you're spread too thin, not doing things custom for each platform. If you folk, if you're somebody who's a business professional and you're not really like, good and don't have a camera and want to be on screen and TikTok doesn't make sense to you, make a great LinkedIn post and you'll get way more traction on that. Go where you feel comfortable, go where you feel your audience is, start there and then build out. If you have bandwidth to try others, I don't think there's anything wrong with experimentation. I think you should learn about these platforms and maybe find out where your best platform is. But I don't think the idea of like, I'm all in on all these five and I'm just going to crush it. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Has Elon Musk helped or hurt Twitter? It's so funny. When we were talking about this last time, you were like, is it a good thing that he bought it or is it a bad thing? And I said, TBD. Because yeah. like, we really don't know the answer. Honestly, the answer is still TBD. Like, I feel like the what I definitely felt at that time when we spoke, this guy was not falling. Everybody was like, oh, Twitter's dead. Yeah. RIP Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting off this platform. <laughs> Those same people who are getting off the platform are still there yep. whining about the platform, doing the same things. So Twitter's not dead. X is not dead. But the it, it's way too early. Like It really depends on what the long-term strategy is. It seems like based on Elon's moves that sustainability and profitability and actually making Twitter a platform or X, I keep calling it Twitter, old habits. Call it call it Twitter. I, it's funny yeah. how like we we just refuse to accept this. It's so ingrained. I don't I don't understand the the basis of it, but it does drive discussion. Um it seems like profitability and making it a successful business are way more important to Elon than it was to the previous regime, right? Like yeah. their business was out of sorts. Like it was a platform that people enjoyed in a certain way. And I don't think that he's he's heart, heart, um, hurt the or hampered the enjoyment in, in, in a particularly uh, noticeable way. Like I, I definitely see some people who feel like they're not being served the same things, right? That the algorithm's not responding in that way. But I would say, you know, most of those people are not jumping to threads. Most of those people are not yeah. seeking other platforms. They're kind of still staying where they are. Um, it seems like the numbers, the metrics would indicate that there's more activity on the platform now than there was previously. So I think it's going in a direction toward a being a better run business. Does that mean a better platform? I think is still kind of like murky and being worked out. Like Elon's playing with some of the enforcement and the moderation and the community note stuff and things like that. I think it's still too early to kind of like have a real determination on that, but I'm interested. I'm interested to see how the journey goes, but it seems like his focus on making it a better business kind of trump and supersede the other parts of it. And so I would suggest if you like it, stay. If you don't like it, go. Like, I don't think you need to be married to any one platform. I think something that we talk about in, in combat sports, in pro wrestling and MMA a lot is... You just got to get the people that care. If you're in the middle where no one cares about you, that's the worst place to be. If Absolutely. they hate you, that is far better. So I think he has, Elon has done with all, he's made a bunch of crazy moves within the last year. X was like the head scratcher. Why are we doing this? Yeah. So many other moves throughout the past year since we last spoke, he's, he's done. It's publicity. 
and he uh i think any publicity is good publicity so i think i think it's in a better spot than it was a year ago to a certain extent but also like the moves have been described as crazy but like what's the end result are they actually crazy like how different is your experience on x now right versus twitter i think then? it's a better platform now than it was a year ago Oh, so even better i was gonna say i don't think it's even materially that different like i would yeah. say it was kind of like similar but if you're saying even better for in your experience like were they crazy yeah they, and they, i think it's i think it's more enticing now i mean you know, I don't have a blue check on. I, I actually just deleted my X account because I had enough of it. But you've got a blue check on X, and I, so I now there's some monetization features on that. So I'm sure you're raking it in over there. Oh yeah, the, but no, the it, it seems it seems to be a better place. Like creators before didn't really have much of a reason to be. It was just like, all right, like I can tweet out links to my articles and stuff, whatnot. But there was no like financial interest in it like there has been for tiktok and youtube and instagram for years now it seems to be more creator friendly now yeah it is definitely and that's aligned with what i was saying like business is the focus right tiktok was not a uh, tiktok twitter was not a creator platform yeah twitter was an, a news engagement like community platform now they're posting full podcasts on it. Now they're paying creators. The sums are not the sums are not mind blowing, um, but they are something, yeah. right? Where previously they didn't even have Nothing. that. They're paying creators. They're doing that. They're limiting and like throttling people leaving the platform, right? Like now they're limiting linking or or how um, obvious links are and wanting people to not leave the platform. Right. They want you to stay. They want the content to be on X, which I think fundamentally from a business perspective makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like that is what I would do. If I were to come in and, and run the business, that would be something I would focus on. I want, I don't want people linking to YouTube videos. I want the videos to be on my platform. That is the best way I can attract advertisers and keep people on my platform. So that part of it makes sense to me. And and I think that it it, it is a good decision. There are some people who feel like maybe like the the heart of what Twitter was is gone, right? Or felt like this thing, I liked it the way it was and now it's changing. And I understand that. Like if that's your perspective, but I would just say go elsewhere. But that's the evolution of social media. We talked about this last time. Like Facebook is no longer what it was in 2011 <laughs> yes. when it was just posting on your wall and seeing what your friends are doing. It has completely changed. And you said like, oh, once money gets involved... That changes it. Everything completely changes. And so now it's TikTok in 2018 was just about entertainment. It was just pure entertainment. Now TikTok is about a brand and business and selling things. It just, these all just change over time. They end up kind of coalescing. They end up kind of like converging on like the same point eventually, but they have different maturity yeah. <laughs> cycles, but they do end up ultimately being an advertising platform. They end up being platforms that are focused on keeping people on the platform so they can sell advertising space. Yeah. It's it's not different than television. That is ultimately how they they all start in different places and then over the years converge to that to that <laughs> one point. And and Twitter kind of stayed away from that for quite a while. Like yeah. there were there were certain monetization levers that they had um in terms of uh pre-roll advertising on videos, but that was it for a long time. Otherwise it would be like sponsored posts which is outside like the the function of the platform. And now there's inside the platform. Now there's actually on-platform advertising. And so it's reaching that same point that other platforms have kind of reached. Your oldest child is six years old, as yes. you said. So now you're probably getting to the, the age where you're thinking about like screen time with them, social media with them. Yeah. They're 
how much technology do I give them <laughs> access to? And I'm sure they're already hooked on the iPad or something, whatever. So just as a Probably father right now, watching. yeah, as a father, how do you think about, okay, how do I ensure that my children have the healthiest relationship with all this stuff? I have to say uh, it's hard to do now when they're not like as cognitively aware, yeah. right? It's hard to have a conversation with a six-year-old who has an iPad to say like, you can't really use the iPad. They love the iPad so much. It stimulates that thing. It's simple. And it's also so easy for me as a parent to be like, I got to get this thing done, <laughs> take the iPad and watch it. I, we're trying to build the healthy habits, trying to limit the screen time, trying to also just give them like alternatives. Like let's go out and do a thing is a big thing for yes. us. Like we don't want to just sit in and only do that. Like I'm not about to be the parent who's like, I didn't have the TV in the house. Like I'm not, I'm not that person. I watched TV growing up. Um, so I couldn't, I don't think I could operate in a world where I'm just like, you can't have an iPad or you can't have access to anything digital. I, I would, knowing my own habits, that would drive me to want that thing more. And I'd end up trying to find right. ways to get it. Um, but just from a practical perspective, it helps me as a parent. Um, my kids at their school learn on iPads and like also are getting education yeah. on iPads. And I think that's a good thing to mix in where it's like, this is not just a tool to watch YouTube. Like it's also a tool where you can learn and you can do those things. So it's, I think it's more for us, for my um, experience about supplementation, like do other things. Let's go out, let's read, let's do books. And then we also do iPad. And it's just about like keeping that mix healthy is, is kind of that. Now, once we get to the world of like, what do I think my kids' social media accounts should look like and how they handle themselves on social media, that's going to be a difficult thing yeah. to kind of navigate and manage. And I don't like the things that they're posting there and this, and I'm dreading it, but thankfully we're not there yet. But yeah, I'm, I mean, that world is coming for me at some point. And, uh, I'm going to have to reckon with it. Uh, back to you and your own consumption. Sorry. Like I have such a frenetic yeah. mind. It just bounces around. Um, I've noticed in the past five years or whatever, I would say, as there's just been more platforms and as I work primarily online, when I spend so much time online, I have noticed like we like we say this cliche like oh younger generation their attention spans are getting shorter they can't focus like i legit have noticed that like i yeah. i cannot do the deep work that i was capable of in high school i can't lock in like i used to be able to i get so i get distracted very easily i task switch a bunch have you noticed that within yourself has that oh, happened yeah. to you yeah um i can still as i said like my mind and my and the way i operate is still very uh, on off, yes, no, black, white. So when I need to lock in, I'm really good okay. about locking in, but it comes with a, it comes with an actual, like, uh, a conscious effort. A conscious like, I have effort. to make a conscious effort. Like put the phone in the other room. Do not disturb everything. I'm, I'm disciplined enough that it, it could just be as simple as do not look at the phone. Like I don't have to hide it. Like I'm not like I could, when it comes to the diet, I could be sitting in front of a cake right now. It wouldn't tempt me at all because my, <laughs> my resolve is strong. My discipline is strong, but I just won't go get cake. That's it's more that. So it's like, I just won't use my phone. I'll know, Hey, I'm locked in on this thing, not using my phone. I'm, I'm not somebody who needs to like store it away, but I understand, I completely understand that instinct. They probably have better moderation than me too. They're probably, probably a little better in the middle and, and more well-adjusted, but I know, I know my limitations, but it is a conscious, like I need to lock in now this goes away because I'm on my phone as much as anybody, as you yeah. can imagine, because, because of work. Um, and I also enjoy like doing things on my phone. Um, 
but it is, I notice it. It is definitely conscious. It is definitely something that has shifted. Um, but I, I also expect that. Like, I understand that this is the world as it's evolving and these things are more available to us that like, it's kind of how it's going to go. Is that scary? Is that good? Probably not, but um, I understand it. Like, I, I accept it. Okay, so two more questions. I yep. want to. I want to look forward. I want to look backward. Okay, as I often do. Let's look forward. What do you want to be doing? Like, where? Like, what are you building toward? Where do you see this God. all going? This is going to be the lamest answer because, like, I'm just going to keep alluding back to things that I've already said. But it's working with the people. Like, what I want. I don't set. I haven't set for myself like goals of like in five years I want to be the boss or the manager of this or like I want to be in this. Pers- specific job to this point i've already accomplished things that i wanted to accomplish right it was really cool to work at espn i love being back at vox i've had kids i've got a great relationship i've got great family around me all these things like all these boxes have kind of been checked and i'm not like longing for something other than i want to continue to work with people that i really want to work with so it's more of that it's like continuing the ride of like i want to keep working with ariel i want to meet new people that we can work with and build and grow like it's it's really that even like within the confines of of vox like i want to work with new departments and figure out new things and it's it's always that like that's what i long for is like the connection with people and being able to work with people so in 5 years i want to be able to say I'm working with people that I really want to work with and have added new people to that mix, that it's not just the same stagnant number of people who I love and are my inner circle and would never say a bad word about, but now I just want to keep growing it. I want to keep adding those relationships. What does 2023 Eric Jackman tell 2011 Eric Jackman (sighs) before he sends that email to Ariel? The advice I always give is to send the email. So I've already done that, right? I re- that, that that version of me already checked that box. But I mean, what would he say? You're probably. I imagine. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine this time you're a young kid. You're young. You're hungry. You're motivated in the media business. You just need someone to take a chance on you. You yeah. just need someone to believe in you. Like you have the skills to work at many places, but in this business. Jobs are limited. Yeah. There's only so much headcount at these companies. And it's a very turbulent and tumultuous business. There's only so much. And so you can be really good, but you just might not get the opportunity. And that's what kills a lot of like really young talent in this business. So for sure. back then, Is when it, you were just young and hungry and desperate and looking for a shot, like what would you tell him? It's the advice. It's how to it's how do we get how do we get to where we got? It's usually like when I ask people this question, it's like it's all going to work out, Eric. Like, calm down. Yeah. Like, just stop worrying so much. There's definitely an like this, element. Like, this is with the benefit of, of hindsight. Of the hindsight. There's definitely an, an element of, like, I, I have to say, like, I'm a little bit of, a, of an optimist. I never thought it wasn't going to work out in that perspective. If that email never got answered, I was going to be fine. Like, I would just move to the next thing. I'm never somebody who, I, I really don't look backward. I really do not, like, um, have uh, regrets. I know a lot of people say that. Truly, I live by that. Like by the time this conversation's done, I'm thinking about the next thing and moving on. If I messed up, I messed up. If I didn't, I didn't. I, I kind of co- keep moving forward. So I don't know if I would have wanted or benefited from like the soothing because I feel like some people like it's like you're stressed out. You're gonna be okay. I was never that. I was never that concerned about it, which okay. is which is kind of funny to think about myself. It would probably be stay the course. It would probably be like 
trust trust your instincts like you're going to get to that spot that you're going to get because you are doing the things that you you should be doing like and i and i've operated that way and it would probably be that cuz there's 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 lots of opportunities like along the way where i could have like zigged when i should have zagged and things would have gone differently but i'm kind of willing to roll with the punches like i'm kind of like on that path where like if it didn't work out i was going to be a cop like I was in police academy. My wife's a cop. My wife's a cop. I was in police academy when I sent that email to Ariel. I was. I didn't know that. I was in the same academy class as my wife, and she got called. Like I was going to get called in two weeks to a month to be a police officer. They were going to call me. I passed all my physicals. I was great on the on the course. Everything. They were going to call me, and then they did call me, and I and I deferred it. And I could have been a cop, and I think I would have been really happy. I think I would have been great. It would have had great benefits. It would have been a great job. I, my dad was in law enforcement. I would have loved it. It would have been fantastic. So. I'm like, am I too optimistic? Am I no. too not worried about like things going wrong? Because I feel like the advice would have just been like, you're good, kid. Like, just like do it. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Like th that That said, at that time you said like I was, you know, the young hungry. I was not that at no. all. In fact, I was the opposite. I was stoner, sit on my couch, play Call of Duty all Were day. You? I was really- That doesn't track at all. It doesn't. Uh, there was a point where it shifted and part of it was my wife just being like, hey, you lazy SOB. Like, Okay, so you changer. were together at the time when you were in the police academy? When we were both about to go in, we were together and- um, and yeah, I was just like kind of wasting away. Like I, I, I was, maybe I would, this is probably it. I just talked about how I was like content. If something didn't work, I just like said, okay, on to the next thing. I was too content. I was too content mm. to just like accept the idea. Like I tried that. It didn't work. I'm just going to not do something. Now I'll do something new. And I kind of like accepted a level of failure. Like I didn't really like push beyond that. Um, and so I was the opposite. I was not like super like hardworking, super motivated. I was a good student. I've always been like a good student. I, I can lock in. I can do tests. I'm, I'm good at that type of thing. Um, but I was lacking a bit of like motivation. I needed something. And so that's what that, ear, that email to Ariel came from was like, I want to try this. I want to go this direction. And if I can get it, it'd be amazing. And it'll change my life. And then it did. It actually worked out in my favor. So yeah, like go do something. Like, don't, don't be so content with like sitting around and, and playing Call of Duty and just not doing anything. But I, I was, I was right on the cusp of getting there. I was mm. right on the cusp of, of having that realization anyway. And, and I kind of just like found it. Yeah. Any regrets from the last 12 years? No, I have none. Like, how could I, I have three beautiful children. I'm friends with you. I'm friends with Ariel. I'm friends with all these people. And it's like, what could I like? I don't know. I, I, it's a really hard question for me to ask because I feel like it sounds pretentious. I feel like it feels like a, like a deflection. Like it feels like a, you don't have anything that you would not do differently, but I'm like in that butterfly effect, weird world, this goes differently. Now yeah. this doesn't happen. I'm so happy with the way things are. I just can't, I can't think that way. I have to just like keep moving forward. Well, you've been moving forward, uh, forward and upward uh for the last 12 years you've uh gotten yourself into some incredible places eric and uh i for one am very happy to have met you in 2019 and i uh i echo the sentence about looking forward to uh 
working together like with with good people i i miss that um i i do work with good people but primarily remotely and so i, I hope that you are one of those people that uh that i get to work with that. again into uh, the near future so thank you for joining me yes. enjoy ufc 295 keep up the great work i look forward to the next live podcast that you and the mma hour crew do in new york city or las vegas or wherever and keep up the great work. You're killing it. Uh, you're killing it here. You're killing it at home. You're just like, you're just the best person ever. So thank you for being here and, <laughs> too, and for everything. Too kind. Uh, <laughs> thanks for inviting me back. Thanks for having me. And uh, let's uh, let's get you in a positive spot on the social media. I feel like we can do it together. Yeah, I need I need positive spot on social media and also my health. Like it's been also like, in ext- I mean, also with the, the bad spot social media the past couple of months also been like, I've not been in the best space mentally because my physical health has been yeah. just in the absolute drain. I mean, listen to this run of bad luck. Yeah. COVID July, yep. diabetes August, bronchitis September, <laughs> pneumonia October. That will take a toll on you when yes. you're also creating stuff on the internet. Yeah, the physical is so linked to the mental. Like yeah. my, my mind is working differently now that I'm healthier. Like, so yeah, let's let's get the physical positive, get the mental positive, and then we're gonna kill it. <laughs>